in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother f***ers. Rip them touching suckers like the f***ing players. Teased it going out. Are you excited? NFL schedules released tonight. Do you wait for this all off season? I mean, li- literally, how how excited are you? Two, well, NFL Network and then ESPN is going to have updates and they're going to have their own show about this. Is this proof? Literally, we could watch paint drive and the ratings would be off the roof. I mean, this thing has gotten so big. It's not it's not laughable. It's actually huge because you know everyone wants to know where and when their teams play. But do you get excited for this? I weirdly have become more and more excited over the years, and maybe that's because they've made it so big. I don't know why. I'm kind of looking forward to this thing. What specifically are you looking forward to about it? I'm actually looking forward to seeing how many night games the Raiders play so I know how many times I'm on deadline. See, that is practical. (laughs) That is a practical and pragmatic way of looking at this, Ed. I respect that very much. So, look, we already know that we'll watch paint dry because we already – spent how many hours three hours on the first round broadcast in which there was a total of maybe five minutes of action of one man coming and reading letters off an index card yeah yeah right i mean that's literally what the entire first round of the draft is and then people showed up for two more days of whatever the hell it was so yeah we already we know we'll do it and the schedule release is further proof of it but i'm gonna tell you who really cares about the schedule release degenerates <laughs> All of the gamblers want to know what the schedule looks like because there's a lot to be gleaned from how these games are lined up. Uh, You you need to know uh, where these teams are going to be having short rest spots, where they're going to have rest advantages, where they're going to potentially, let's say, be, you know, where are you going to be the week after you have to go against Derrick Henry and get battered for 35 right, carries, right. right? Like, these are the things you need to know when you're potentially betting on the NFL. I think when you're trying to figure out season win totals, which I mentioned earlier, the Raiders are eight and a half, and I think that they, they slip under that. Uh, yeah, you need to know all of these things for when it comes to setting up your bets for the NFL. At Denver, at Kansas City, at the Chargers, at the Rams, at Tennessee, at Pittsburgh, at Seattle, at New Orleans. Were you surprised, uh, real quick here, on the station's odds on on, on this team? I, I don't think you were because you're going 8-9 and nine with them. Uh, did anything jump out at you at that station's odds, or do you think they're pretty pretty even and pretty fair? No, and I think it's pretty fair. I think it's hard to... It's hard to put too big a spread on anything at this point of the year because you you have no idea who has jobs, you have no idea who has health, you you really don't know anything, especially with the schedule here of what sort of spots that right. some Where of these games gonna are, are going to be in. Right, you have no you have no idea. Right, it's it's a, if you tell me that they have to go, you know, let's say on the road to Pittsburgh in week one versus on the road to Pittsburgh in week 14, I'm going to look at the game very differently because Mm -hmm. in week one, they might be throwing Mitchell Trubisky out there to hold the seat warm for Kenny Pickett. By week 14, Kenny Pickett might actually have a clue as to what he's doing. So it's completely different for how you look at it. But with the Raiders, uh, by some metrics, they have one of the five hardest schedules uh, in the NFL just based on the amount of uh, tough opponents that they have to play. And they're also in the upper half of the league in terms of net miles that they're going to travel, right? I mean, there there are some teams this year, by the way, Ed, that will not leave their own time zone the entire season based on the way this schedule lines up. Uh, the Raiders are not one of them. 
Great question. Thank you. Pittsburgh Penguins failed to close out the Rangers last night in Game 5 loss Wednesday. It was 3-2, uh, uh, excuse me, 5-3. Gerard Gallant's uh, team narrows it to 3-2. Did you see the hit um, from Jacob Trouba on, on Sidney Crosby? Did you see the hit, and what do you think about it? Is there a suspension coming? I don't think there should be a suspension coming on that hit uh, on Crosby. Truba didn't look like he was headhunting. Uh, Crosby had his head kind of down a little bit toward shoulder level. Now, keep in mind, it's Sidney Crosby. So if right. one of the stars of the league goes out, they're going to take a much closer look at that hit than they would have otherwise. What, what I noticed more than anything was that after Crosby went out, the Penguins looked hapless. The Rangers scored three goals last night in the span of two minutes and 45 seconds come back and take the lead in that game and then ended up winning the third period pretty handily. But uh, are the Penguins done? No, not necessarily. But if, if Truba has to sit for uh, game six, then yeah, it could be a different story. Do you, uh, b- before we go to the next one, I want to ask, because you just talked about the, uh, you just talked about the NFL uh, Panthers five, three uh, over the caps lead the series two one Calgary three, one of the stars leads the series both three, two, um, Betting-wise, do you have strategies in these series, given that they go back and forth so much in terms of the scores? We talked about momentum. I don't believe in it. You don't believe in it. But when you start looking at these series in terms of uh, how inconsistent the scores are, do you have strategies when you talk about the NHL? I just don't let it swing too far back and forth, right? I'll give you an example. I was looking around um, the night before, so what, uh, two nights ago. I was looking around, and I saw Panthers caps with a series price of capitals plus 255 i thought all right we're overreacting a little bit here right because i think that they have a better chance than that of coming back and winning the series and i felt pretty good about it when they were up three nothing last night uh to have a plus 255 number on the caps because i thought it was too big Uh, and you know it was at one book in town other books had it priced more like 220 215 and i thought okay this potentially is an overreaction to you know the panthers being in this series I don't have much of a theory beyond that uh, because I'm not that smart. I can't. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're proud of yourself. Yeah, Fox backs me. Wow. Well, and to be honest, to be honest, no, 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 that's enough. That's enough. Next question, please. Pete Carroll says Drew Locke would have been the first quarterback taken in the 2022 NFL draft. I given. <laughs> there you go. Given where all these quarterbacks went, he might be right. Here's Pete Carroll. I think he'd been the first guy picked of quarterbacks anyway. He'd have been the first guy in the draft for sure. I don't have any hesitation about saying that. Why is Seattle trying so hard to convince themselves Drew Locke is so good? Or is he just actually telling the truth that he probably would have been the first pick in this draft? So interesting. Pete Carroll believing in something that nobody else does. (laughs) (laughs) I guess whether it's about... 9-11 or the running game winning in 2022 Pete Carroll has beliefs that some of the rest of us have questions about uh yeah Drew Locke is not someone who you're ever going to convince me is is going to be the first pick in this draft now he was a second round pick right so it's not like Drew Locke is the 42nd selection uh was someone that we would have laughed at as the potential better pick but come on man we've already seen it we've seen it yes he's got an arm that's pretty much it. The one year that he went out there and he was the starting quarterback, he threw 15 interceptions. Come on. 16 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Pro football focus grade of 63. Last year, pro football focus grade of 57. He ranked between Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles, and no one's trying to tell me either of those guys would be the first pick in this year's draft. 
Okay, I just, just to any listener that doesn't know the Pete Carroll backstory, can we give it to them also so that I can laugh in the background? Well, all right. <laughs> so I'm talking about the idea of, first of all, Pete Carroll believing in the running game in 2022. That's not what Jared's talking about. Um, yeah, I, I don't feel the need to attach myself too deeply to this. I would just suggest a quick Google search of Pete Carroll 911 and uh, some theories he has about how it went down that I think have been pretty widely debunked by factual reporting. Pressbox transition. Uh, is this Pressbox transition? Are they just not going to look at Baker Mayfield? Is this him once again just trying to convince everyone this is our guy? Really? I just I can't believe he's so bought in on Drew Locke. I think he's going to try to convince everybody he's bought in on Drew Locke because he wants Drew Locke to be bought in on Drew Locke. But the reality of the situation is Seahawks aren't going anywhere this year. That is a bad roster. That it's straight up and down. That is a bad roster outside of DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Charles Cross might start to help that offensive line get better, but Drew Locke ain't the answer. And that defense took a major hit with Bobby Wagner being gone. And they weren't that great in the first place. And... They play in a division where they are the clear worst team. I mean, they are Raiders light, right? Like, right. they are the worst team in their division, except it's pretty obvious why. That's a great, great question. PGA Tour is going to deny uh, players who want to go to the Saudi Arabian-backed LIV Golf Invitational Series. They have the uh, Byron Nelson at TPC Craig Ranch um, the same week, Justin Thomas. I would hope it would deter them from going over there. Uh, we know about Mickelson. We know about Sergio Garcia. Other guys who say they want to play in this tour. The money they have, the money they um, could make over there. Uh, I look. I am. I am with the PGA on this. I'm not with Monahan on a lot of things, and I'm not with the PGA on a lot of things. But if you are going to stop this and have your players make a choice, you've got to infer. You've got to instill some discipline. We don't know exactly what that would be if they take. If they choose one of these Saudi uh, 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 Arabian-backed tour uh, events over one of your own. What, what what are your thoughts on this? I haven't talked to you about the Saudi Arabian Tour and what happened with Mickelson. The hard part for the PGA Tour is that every one of its players are independent contractors, right? There's no collectively bargained yes. agreement here, right? Like there's no association. You're you're essentially talking to gig workers and trying to get them to go where you want them to go. Now you can deny them entry into certain events uh, on the tour and say that if they go over there that you know you're not going to let them in, but you're probably going to be opening yourself up to, to legal action. I'd want to know what some of our uh, ESPN Las Vegas legal experts think about that. But all right, I have to sound like old man yelling at cloud for just a second here. If you look at the official PGA Tour money list, if I just asked you, Ed, how many guys on the official money list to date in 2022 have made a million dollars? Would you know the answer to that? How many? How many total? Is this the Chonies before I even get to the Chonies? And no, 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 no. Oh, oh no! The, the, the I, cho- can't, I can't wait for the Chonies when I my, miss those my, numbers. My Chonies, as always, are themed. Uh, but um, I'm trying to think how many events there's been. Uh, okay, so I'll tell you that how many events the le- there been? Okay, the least amount of events that someone has played to make a million dollars, I believe, is eight. It looks like Daniel Berger. Uh, is the, actually no seven for Rory McIlroy to make four point three million. Uh, the most events someone has played on this list appears to be twenty one. Wow. Okay. So I, I will save you the the drama here. Yes. Seventy eight players thus far this year have made at least one million dollars in earnings. 
And to me, man, on a tour where the average so far is $981,000, I don't feel like life is so bad. No. No, not with the money. Not with the money. I I, I, I get that. And uh, they're going to push this Saudi uh, uh, narrative. But I'm just, again, I, I'm not... I'm not a huge Monahan guy in some ways, but I'll tell you what, I think they're right about this. If you don't want them going to that tour, you've got to do something. And if you have a tour event the same weekend, make them make a choice. And right now, when it comes to Phil Mickelson in particular, go. go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, and I think the, I think the other players I think the other players uh, have uh, said it without saying it, haven't they? Or some maybe have said it. If you want to go, there it is. Yeah, go. Go. I mean, and Sergio Garcia is getting thrown into this largely because he had, a, you know, a tantrum with a rules official. I don't think we should really put him in the same bucket as Phil Mickelson, who, you know, I think it's pretty clear what's uh, what he's said about the Saudis and then tried to backtrack. So, no, go. It's, it, it's fine. Look, would we be talking about any other 50 something golfer who wants to go play no. on a money tour in, no. in Saudi Arabia? No, no. Take the man boobies and go. Jared thinks it's that. <laughs> it's so unnecessary. <laughs> We're going to break when we come back. Oh, Adam Candy, the rest can answer a lot of questions about the NBA and officiating. might have seen him at your local YMCA arguing with a U-12 coach. Let's tee it up with Adam. Wait, it's a ref segment? Wouldn't it make more sense if it was a golf segment? Whatever. Let's tee it up with Adam Candy. Love this, uh, love this segment. I know nothing about officiating. I just think they're bad and good. I just make a, uh, stupid, uh, stupid opinions and stupid calls when I seek, uh, uh, what I think is good or bad, but he's the he's the expert. It's Adam Candy, our resident referee. Um, you've watched all the NBA playoffs. I'm sure you've watched each game. There's a sense out there. Tell me if you believe it or not that they're being called inconsistently. Um, and I, I think there's been too much written on the refs. Actually, with the NBA, you, you Google it, and there's like 50 stories that come up. Has there been inconsistency? I don't know that there's necessarily been inconsistency that's outside the range of anything that we would see the rest of the year. I just think we have more eyes on it. We're paying closer attention to every play, every call. Everything gets more attention here in the playoffs. We have a lot more close games, right? We have a lot more uh, situations in which we perceive that the officials are having an impact on the outcome of the game, whether that's true or whether it's not. So, I mean, no, in my opinion, I think the NBA playoffs have been called just fine but I, I also understand why people are looking at certain situations right they're looking at Draymond Green and then looking at Dylan Brooks and and looking at uh, you know major hard fouls and they're wondering whether things are being applied the same way yeah and that's a uh, there's two ways to look at it I guess and uh, what your thoughts are I guess is it true too many calls could slow the game but not enough can lead to these more physical injuries I mean We've gone over this over and over, Tyler and I, about how many injuries to key players there have been, even though I think last year there were even more injuries. I mean, do you have a sense of, is it just in the moment? Is it just a specific play? Or should they be looking more and more because of these injuries? Or is that that shouldn't be in a referee's head. He should call the play as he sees it at the moment. Um, and if there's too many calls, does that slow the game down? You know, I thought it was interesting. Monty McCutcheon, who is the head of the NBA referees right now, 
answered this question a couple of weeks ago on a broadcast when they were saying to him, how much do you take into account what's happened in a game already when you make a decision, mm-hmm. right? Is it going to be a, a common foul? Is it going to be a flagrant foul? Is it going to be a flagrant two, right? And, and Monty McCutcheon, I thought, gave a great answer. He said, referees are always accounting for the flow of the game. They're always accounting for wh- what's going on in that game at any given time. But the application of the rule can't change. That has to be consistent throughout the year, right? So whether more whistles blow on hand checks or you know tight little calls are the sorts of things that might vary a little bit uh, but how they adjudicate a play where dylan brooks goes up and clobbers gary right Payton, right isn't gonna change a whole lot so you ask me is it you know is it too many calls slowing the game down not enough leading to injuries i think the biggest thing you have to look at is that the nba changed the points of emphasis in terms of how it was officiating the game this year right they early in the year they decided to get rid of all the rip through fouls and all the you know sort of garbage stick your leg out on a three and get a call sorts of fouls and so we had a weird effect this year what we had was that early in the year we saw less fouls being called and less scoring in the NBA whereas most years what we're talking about is fouls being added in right like five six years ago when it was like oh now every time you touch somebody with two hands it's a hand check in college basketball right right? right. and all of a sudden scoring goes down uh I should say scoring goes up because we have more foul throws and then by the end of the year maybe it's not being called as tightly and the scoring goes back down well I think what we're seeing now at the NBA and there's some good research from um from Seth Partnow at The Athletic that backs this up, I think you're seeing that there's a natural ebb and flow to this where we're going back the other direction, right? Where now, instead of less fouls being called, we might see a few more fouls being called as we sort of revert back to, you know, the way things have been in the past. So I think that's part of it as well. To your point, the average team has been called for 22.4 fouls in the playoffs the most since 2010 and has attempted 23 and a half free throws per game through Sunday. Um, and I want to want to get your uh, your experience as a ref in terms of all the levels you've refereed. Talk to me about theatrics in 2022. Um, you say kick out the kick out the leg. I uh, Marcus Smart last night. I think you might have remembered it on the Giannis uh, offensive foul. I mean, he did make contact with him, but I mean, Marcus Smart flies back like he just got run over by a truck. That seems more and more um, uh, consistent with the NBA players. Is this is theatrics at all levels and and how do you as a ref in the moment separate that from a true foul i mean is it, is it does it have to be over the top for you to say there's nothing there stop flopping stop doing whatever you can do pull your head back and all the all the sense that these guys do well men's college basketball is absolutely trying to get it out of the game with its flopping rule right that they're trying to clean up guys taking charges as though they were just shot so I think that what we see at the NBA level, which is the same at every professional sport, I'll tell you, it used to drive me crazy when I did more soccer, and you would watch high-level soccer, and you would just wait to see the same sort of theatrics filter their way down to the youth level. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens with the NBA, then to college, then to high school. You watch certain things happen in the NBA, the kids are all watching it, and then you start to see it in those games as well. How do you officiate it? You do as much film study as the players do, right? We study these things. We watch to see what sort of things players are doing consistently. This is all part of our preseason. You watch film on training. this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we watch film on on what are the things that players are trying to get away with, 
right? We right. like in, in specific, we watch film on let's talk about re, you know something like rebounding. We're watching little things on how things like certain ways of clamping arms have developed so that in the moment when we're trying to call it, we're not trying to decode it with our eyes. So when it comes to things like taking charges and players flying back, we know the difference between when someone really got run, when we call it to and through, right? The contact came to them and through them. Right. Run versus over. when versus when someone takes a tiny little bit of a shoulder that dipped down and flies five feet back. We know the difference in what that looks like. And I'll tell you the biggest way that I officiate with this. And the thing that I hate is when a guard is coming down the court and they're trying to make clear that they're being ridden. And all of a sudden they throw their head back like a Pez dispenser. Right. Right. Like, like I look at them and I, I mean, there are times that they're right. They actually got fouled. And then like thousand one thousand two, they throw their head back. And so I'll call the foul, and then I'll walk over to them and be like, hey, I knew it was a foul long before you, before you threw your head back, and he didn't hit your head. Right. Like, you know, like, try to get that part of it out of the game because it's annoying. Another story I read yesterday uh, asked a good question I want to talk about. If you call everything by the book without taking some of the game, do you take some of the game's excitement away? And as the story said, ball handling moves, it could be called travels or double dribbles. Post-rising dunks would be called charges. Physical and post-play would be all but legislated out of existence. Is there an ebb and flow when you're calling games to not call it exactly by the book? I mean, is there some sense in that, that it could take the game's excitement away? Or, again, do you have to, do you have to call it by the book? Because if not, you're letting stuff get away. I mean, I think when you talk about calling it by the book versus not by the book, you understand that the way that we look at that rule book is that rule book is our set of tools for enforcement, right? And there's a way that they're supposed to be enforced. You don't stop calling a certain rule because it would take the excitement of the game away, right? Uh, you, 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 can't, you can't stop calling the rules of the game because it is a lot harder to take the reins of a game back that have gotten away from you than it is to loosen the reins on a game that maybe you were calling too tight. Right. Any referee will tell you they would much rather have to try to say, OK, you know, m maybe we need to just be a little more patient with the whistle. Watch the whole play develop versus, oh, my God, it's Armageddon out here. How are we going to call things that get people to stop trying to kill each other? Did you see the uh, bases loaded strike three? Uh, and and um, uh, Cora get thrown out. This thing was about six inches off the ground. Did you see that last night? I uh I did three three game uh, top I, of the I, I know, sixth. I, I know Jared was upset about this. And, yes, and I want to give them uh, give the the Red Sox as hard as it is for me to do the benefit <laughs> of uh, the benefit of saying that that was a horrible call. But the hardest part of the whole thing is that when Pulowski slams the helmet down, the home plate umpire tossed him. I, look, I know damn well when I've kicked a call, right? And <laughs> am I going to be ten percent more patient? with a complaint from somebody if i know i kicked the call yeah i absolutely am i'm going to give a little bit more rope now you know this is a younger umpire maybe he thought oh it's an absolute he slammed the helmet down i gotta throw him right right i i, I don't think so I, I i think what you've ultimately done there is you've made a bad situation worse maybe you give the guy more than the five seconds that it took for you to toss him, right? Because chances are, once he slams the helmet down, he's going to come yelling in your face. He's going to come make the whole thing a lot more demonstrative. So maybe just put a little bit more on video when you know you already blew the call to set him off. 
All right. Good stuff there, as usual. Jared, I hope you're satisfied with the answer. I'm never not satisfied with Adam Candy. <laughs> there you go. When we come we got back. got chonies coming up later. I'm, I'm oh, excited. Oh, I can't wait for the chonies. I won't get anything right. When we come back, it's the true maroon, Darren Millard. Maroon is not just a color. This is the VGK Update with Darren Milsey Millard. Update here. True but Crosby. No hearing scheduled from anything that happened last night, so they didn't deem it a bad hit. No hearing for the hit on Sidney Crosby. Join right now. Follow him on Twitter. Darren Millard. He's our buddy, Darren Millard. You can see him on the Vegas Golden Knights TV broadcast, co-host VGK Insider Show, Fox Sports LB. Did you see the hit last night? I did. What do you think? Uh, my immediate concern was for his head, but I didn't think it was uh, a, a vicious play or anything that was uh, that was nasty. But uh, but given his history, that was uh, that was my immediate concern. I understand Mike Sullivan being really sour and right. upset because he just uh, lost his star player uh, on top of playing his third string goaltender. And uh, hey, we've we've all felt the world uh, is against us here, right? Sure. Uh, this year. Uh, with injuries coming to, together, you kind of get fed up. But I didn't think it was uh, it was a suspendable act. No, I, I didn't think so either. In watching it, Darren, I'm just kind of fascinated by the effect that that had on the Pittsburgh Penguins when Sidney Crosby went out because it was two different games last night uh, from yeah. when Crosby went out to what happened after that. Uh, is that the sort of thing you think that the could get the Rangers back into the series, not just Sidney Crosby being out, but the confidence they gained uh, in the way they played in the second and third periods? Well, I think it's probably uh, the former. Uh, like Sidney Crosby has that effect. Uh, at, like it, it, It's true. It, it's absolutely uh, a fact. He he makes everything go, and uh, we we talked about it with uh, with Mark Stone around here a lot. Uh, like his presence in and around the locker room, and what he's been able to do. And and, and Mark and Mark is is a great player. Uh, Sidney Crosby is is arguably uh, top five in in of all time, and a player that's won Stanley Cups and uh, Olympic gold medals. And and uh, I think that he makes that thing go. Like you lost, you you saw the loss of composure from Jenny Malkin. After that, uh, after the loss of of Sidney Crosby, Malkin's supposed to be able to pick up the and, and has done that in the past. He lost his his uh, his head during during that process and started taking penalties and wasn't the same player. So uh, I think I think the New York Rangers are absolutely right in this thing. Uh, if they can stop having fluky goals, and I'm not putting this on Shesterkin, it's just goofy goals are going in. Let me ask you something. You're Aware, obviously, kind of the inconsistent scores here in this in this playoffs. You never know what's going to happen, right? Game to game, with the way these scores have gone. It's awesome. Okay, but it's, it's, but I, I guess my question is: when you don't know what's going to happen, how do you how do you maintain momentum? Uh, how do you maintain? Well, it? I, I don't good. see momentum anything here. It's one score after the other, one game after the other. You never know who's going to win these things. There's been no momentum. In these playoffs <laughs> at all, it's it's been a momentum-free zone. Man, uh, Ed, it's it's, it's uh, I'm I'm not entirely in favor of it. The only team that's had momentum is Colorado. Yes, and now they're into this where they've never had momentum in the last five years. So they're they're really worried about themselves. They'd rather call it the first round plus instead of the second round. Uh, but but you're right. There's it it's been back and forth, and and you know what's been bizarre about this Ed is. Is there's convincing victories one night, like like the 
roll the clock and and it's over in the second period, and the next night or the next game is totally different. I, I, it's been one of the most puzzling first rounds I've ever witnessed. As we shift focus to what's going on locally here, Darren, uh, we know that Bill Foley has said that Kelly McCrimmon will return as general manager. We don't know for sure what the feat. I should say the fate of Pete DeBoer is as coach. You know, he has a year left on his contract. Uh, Pete DeBoer and the Golden Knights seem to me to be a marriage that for most of the time together has worked out pretty well. Uh, do you think that there's a way they get this figured out here sooner than later to maybe be an extension or to get some clarity on his situation? Yeah, I do. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Ed wrote a piece uh, last week, which I thought was, was right on the money. Uh, about uh, about Pete DeBoer's future. Now, uh, clarifying, I don't know anything, but uh, but this this to me is is different uh, than than a lot of the other situations uh, because of the injuries uh, and the flukiness uh, of this year. Uh, do you want to tweak some things? Sure. Uh, does uh, Bill Foley or Kelly McCrimmon or Pete DeBoer want to change a couple of things uh, going forward? Absolutely, and uh, I don't know when the conversation will take place or if it has taken place, but uh, but I do assume that uh, that there will be some tweaks or some some uh, alterations uh, to this team or the way uh, it, it functions. Uh, but uh, but given the success of, of Pete um, uh, the, the the previous two years and uh, and how close they came. Um, to the playoffs with this injury riddle roster, uh, I, I like the idea of, of Pete DeBoer, and and uh, there's there's always different uh, opinions to that. But then, like the New York Islanders, I was surprised they made a change. Right. Uh, quite honestly, I, I was I was shocked that uh, that they parted ways with Barry Trotz, and they weren't even close to the playoffs at like not even close. And, and but Vegas is a team that was right up there until the final couple of games. Uh, involved in that, and it came down to a shootout or a couple of results that you would like to, to switch aside, and that was with their third-string goaltender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that we were all used to. Uh, in, in, in my uh, basis of it, I, I do uh, think that, uh, that the pizza deserves another shot. George McPhee on the podcast, I tweeted you. you. You you didn't tweet me back. I know you are laughing. He actually speaks. Uh, you were la- I was laughing. He actually what a shock! We don't we didn't, we haven't known that for a couple of years. Uh, so uh, the question was: Can Pete DeBoer and Robin Leonard exist? And this is it. Just seems like this is trending well for Pete DeBoer because George McPhee says yes. People get over it. We know what Pete said yeah. after the season. We know he kind of came back on that and said he shouldn't have used the word healthy. We know all that happened. Take us down the road here of why they can coexist. If, in fact, by the way, Robin Leonard is even healthy to start the season, I, I think that might be his question as well: is if he's going to be even healthy? Because again, we don't know the extent of uh, of the of the surgery or how extensive it was. But right. why, in your mind, can they coexist? What has to happen for them to say, "Look, we got to move on here. We're both professionals, and this this has to be for the better betterment of this team." Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I think if it was me, like I would have a lot of trouble with it because I'm an immature brat, uh, and 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 I and I hold things uh, around, and uh, uh, I'm just I'm just that type of person. I would I would have uh, I would have a difficult time with it. But uh, Pete's been 14 years. He's been through all kinds of different situations, and the other one is that Robin Letter uh, has a contract. Got three years left on his contract. I, there, there's no real 
uh, alternatives for him, uh, uh, but to uh, to be professional and, and get over it. Pete DeBoer has has made tough decisions before. Uh, Pete DeBoer made some of the toughest decisions of his of his coaching career, going in favor of Robin Leonard, mm-hmm. and, and I thought that was something that was uh, that hasn't been mentioned enough. Is is he sided with with Robin Leonard a few times uh, in in a really difficult situation uh, with with the Vegas Golden Knights? So uh, I, I don't think there's anything against Robin Leonard in this. Pete was trying to win hockey games, and and uh, it's. It's a situation where where they both have to get on the page, probably more Robin than than, than anything else, and just uh, just uh, wipe everything clean and then and start fresh. And uh, if if you're playing good, you're 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 stopping the puck and you're winning hockey games as a coach. I think it's uh, it's super easy to get to get over this and and start fresh. If that's the uh, the least of my worries, I, I don't worry about it at all. I've seen it before, and uh, look at. Vladimir Tarasenko, guys, like, he asked for a trade. He wanted out yep. of St. Louis, and and now he's scoring big goals and is a game away from getting to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs, pulling off uh, an upset of, of the Minnesota Wild. Things do happen uh, that that allow you to get past it, and I think that's uh, that's. Uh, it, it, I don't think it was never as contentious as as uh, or odd as we have here. Odd's a better word than contentious. Uh, than uh, the, the letter situation, but it was still uh, behind the scenes uncomfortable. Like uh, Doug Armstrong was put in a bad situation with Tarasenko's agent when public asking for the trade, uh, and and now everything's uh, hunky dory. Oh, I mean, come on, Darren. We learned last year that you can actually trade a player, and then have that player come back and be your best yes. player for yes. like another month, right? Gary Dodonov showed that that you can get over hard feelings pretty fast. And, and and look at what the Donov did. Like he was brilliant. Like, like I'll go back to me. Not like I, I, I'm. Please I'm do sour and and chip in the shoulder. And because again, I'm immature, uh, which I knows very well. Uh, this the the Donov one. Like uh, he should put on a class, uh, some kind of course, master class, uh, for for being able to let stuff just roll off your back. Can we assume? And you said there there tweaks need to be made. I mean, is it? Obvious, you know, you have to get healthy. The power plays. Are there things that stand out to you that uh, the the small tweaks, if everyone's healthy, can be enough that it doesn't have to be a major overhaul? No, I I don't think it is an overhaul. Um, I've been uh, very very uh, public uh, about this that if you're healthy, like let's go back to the start of the season and all the talk, like if the Pacific Division was the weakest division in the league and Vegas had such an advantage, blah blah blah. Well, then they got ripped apart by injury. And things all change. If you bring uh, uh, a large amount of the players back, because you can't bring everybody back, that never happens. Right. Uh, even even championship years. But I'm talking like uh, all, all but three or four. That that's what I call running back uh, in today's salary cap era. Uh, I, I think uh, with uh, with with that said, I think the power play is automatically better with uh, with more cohesion. Uh, everybody slotted into the to the right spot. I, I think that you have a, a championship contender again, and then uh, you'll, you'll tweak uh, lines because of uh, of Jack Eichel's arrival here. Uh, that'll change things up uh, considerably uh, and enforce decisions. But uh, but yeah, uh, I, I love I love their roster. Uh, I, I really do. Uh, it's just a matter of whether the roster is the roster that I'm thinking of. 
Well, he is Darren Millard. Follow him on Twitter, Darren Millard, Vegas Golden Knights broadcast, co-host, VGK Insider Show. Best guest we have. I'm going to tell him that because he believes in momentum. Love him. Darren, thanks, brother. Hey, uh, where's uh, Maroon number one today? Ooh, oh, let man. me let me tell it. Okay. He had a colonoscopy yesterday. Oh, good for him. <laughs> I, I mean, that. I, I, like the, the immature uh, person in me would make fun of him. I'm not going to do that. That is an outstanding decision. And it should be commended, and he should be held up as an example of of uh, doing the right thing. So good for him, because that is something that some of us don't do because uh, it's uh, uh, we're too proud or whatever. Uh, it's good for him. I love it. Good for him as well. Thanks, Darren. Yeah. Thanks. See you, buddy. All right, Darren Millard. Okay, we have two tickets to the Steve Miller Band. Now, listen, it's tomorrow night, two tickets to the Steve Miller Band at the Venetian Theater at 8 p.m. So if you can go tomorrow night... Get on the phone right now, 702-364-1100, 702-364-1100. Two tickets to Steve Miller Band if you want to see them tomorrow night. Venetian Theater, 8 p.m. We'll take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. Back after this. This is The Press Box with Graney and Bischoff featuring Adam Candy. Congratulations to David. He won the Steve Miller Band tickets tomorrow night, too. Coming up, Doobie Brothers, 945. You want two tickets to the Doobie Brothers. Keep on listening, and we'll give those away then. I wanted to get to this. We've tried to get to this for a few days. Um, I I didn't know Eric Johnson was the mayor of uh, the Dallas mayor, mayor in Dallas. Let me read you what he said, and then we'll react. We're about to pass Chicago Metro and become the number three metro in the U.S., which would make us the largest U.S. metro without two football teams. Football is king here. Dallas needs an expansion team, and we would be able to sustain two. So if a deal can be made that benefits the NFL, the other owners, the city of Dallas, and possibly the Cowboys, it's a no-brainer. But here's the rub. If it benefits all the stakeholders I just mentioned except Jerry Jones, I was thinking about it in the shower, does that mean a deal couldn't or shouldn't happen? I'm not so sure, and it's my job as mayor to ask these type of questions. Would my city and the residents stand to benefit? I'm both a sports fan and a lover of Dallas. If L.A. and New York can support both an NFC and AFC teams, then Dallas, the capital of football, surely can. Why is my first reaction that Dallas Mayor Eric Johnson is Papa John? It, Ooh, it, it, I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> I, I well, <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm a huge Cowboy fan. You know that my favorite team, uh, other than the Dodgers. But I don't know, and you know this with the uh, with your New York ties in terms of the Giants and the Jets. Given how popular they are in Dallas, I mean. Jerry Jones uh, has a drink of water. He's on the front page, and it's the most clicked-on story of the uh, of, of the day. I don't know if they need a second team. I, I don't know if a second team would do that. As much as it's football, as much as it's king in Dallas, or excuse me, throughout the state of Texas, you've also got the Texans. I don't know if two teams in Dallas are needed. Where is this groundswell of demand that the mayor seems to be I don't know. pulling from? Especially with Cowboy fans. That's exactly it. The New York Giants, the New York Jets, the Los Angeles Rams, and the, don't call them, San Diego Chargers. These teams combined have the passion of the Dallas Cowboys fan base. (laughs) And I'm a Giants fan, and I'll tell you that. Uh, The Dallas Cowboys are the most valuable franchise in professional sports. So let's just start with... I'll go from the least big problem to the biggest problem. The least big problem is nobody wants this. 
nobody wants this. Nobody is asking for another team in Dallas. Nobody's looking at the Cowboys and saying, I don't know if I want to be a Cowboys fan. Because ever since the Troy Aikman days, it's been a franchise worth rooting for. There haven't been a lot of bad years for the Cowboys. There have been some mediocre years in there. But there have been a lot of bad, non-competitive sort of years. So that brings me to the second problem. Benefits the city and the residents. Are you joking? <laughs> what, it benefits the city and the residents that you are sending up bright neon lights to the NFL to say, I'm the next sucker who's going to try to find you a billion dollars to build a stadium? Really? That's not anything that benefits your residents. Your city's fine with having the Dallas Cowboys. The third thing, and the most important thing of all, is can you imagine saying something like, you know, I think that this country would benefit from having a new president, like in the time of Abraham Lincoln, right? Right, right. You're like, I think that the North wants it. I think that the South wants it. But if it benefits all of the stakeholders I just mentioned except Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> does that mean a deal couldn't happen? Like, do you think Jerry Jones is going along oh. with this? Do you think Jerry Jones is going to allow for even the first thought of this to come no. about? Eric Johnson oh. must be trying to get a primary opponent in his next election that Jerry Jones will fund in full. Jerry Jones is going to take all the money he's not giving to his illegitimate daughter and put it into <laughs> the Eric Johnson opponent fund for mayor. This is Papa John. You heard about Papa John earlier in the week saying that the uh, Jerry Jones wanted him to get the uh, commissioner uh, fired, Roger Goodell. Papa John, who stock fell and they no longer have him as a sponsorship. Papa John's a Jerry Jones, uh, Dan Snyder, who was it? It was the the CEO of Pepsi wanted Papa John to <laughs> Papa John to somehow get rid of Goodell. Have beautiful. you ever seen like the MTV crib style thing that they did with Papa John? It's absolutely hilarious and horrifying at the same time. <laughs>